0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, Pastor Tom brought us a message about
1: how to be a role model in a special Father's Day sermon titled, Be an Example. Let's check it out. Good morning, Word of Life. How are we doing? Everyone doing okay? So far, so good? Wonderful to see everybody, great to see you uh, here. Those of you that are online, glad you're able to be a part of church. But before we get into the matches today, I want to go ahead and I want everybody, if you wouldn't mind, um, rising if possible, standing to your feet and welcoming Pastor Randy and Pastor Marianne Chiz <laughs> as they come.
0: I feel like the
1: queen, like queen mother, I guess, the <laughs> So you can be seated. You guys take as long as you want. Okay. If we don't get to the message, I guess we don't get to the All message.
2: Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm here if you need me. <laughs> Good morning, Word of Life Church. It is amazing to be with you today. We are so excited TO COME TO THIS PIECE OF PROPERTY AND TO SEE YOU WONDERFUL PEOPLE WHO ARE NOW LEADING THIS CHURCH. AND uh, LET'S GIVE these THIS PASTOR AND HIS WIFE, LET'S GIVE THEM A ROUND OF applause. COME ON. THEY'RE DOING A GREAT JOB, TOM AND MEGAN. YOU KNOW, I REMEMBER LEAVING OUT OF HERE, uh, MARIANNE AND I LEFT, I FORGET WHAT THE DATE WAS. BUT ANYHOW, IT WAS A PRETTY SAD DAY, BUT IT WAS ALSO a VERY EXCITING DAY BECAUSE WE KNEW THAT WE WERE GOING TO GO TO A PLACE THAT GOD HAS IN STORE FOR US. And uh, wasn't sure what, was gonna, what it was going to look like, but after now, over a year now, it's just been over a year that we've been away and, and that uh, we are settling in into the Myrtle Beach area. Yeah, Myr- Myrtle Beach. You got that right. That's where we live now. And uh, it's, been, it's been really, really wonderful. And I know my wife has a little bit that she wants to share. I, I want to just say this before I hand it over to her, and that is thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you're doing for this church right now. I can't even begin to tell you how important it is to me to hear how much God is using you and blessing you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We um,
0: We pray for you and we mean this every day. We are grateful for Pastor Tom and Pastor Megan. We love them dearly. I come up with a new word. It's called our yours. Um, the people are yours, but they 're always going to be ours right here. When we left, I think we grieved for about five, six months just okay. grieved so to stand up here and look at your faces blesses us it blesses our hearts and you 're doing a great job they 're doing a great job and We're your biggest cheerleaders. We are. We stalk you on Instagram. We pull you up to see some faces and see what's going on. And we pray like crazy and just cheer for the victories that are going on here. And when my husband said that we've acclimated to South Carolina, we have. We've been through one hurricane, a tornado in the middle of the night, lizards uh, that you walk out your front door and they're lime green and they're looking at you, another lizard or a frog, a green frog, that jumped on our ring thing in the middle of the night with big red eyes that we jumped out of bed. Who's here? We don't know anybody here. Who's at our door? Um, And our favorite looking outside at 11 o'clock at night and seeing a big dark snake laying across the the step to come in warming himself and we looked at each other and said eh, we can't deal with this tonight so we went to bed and when he got up at 5 30 it was still sleeping there so he hacked it up with a a shovel shovel and then um and he told me i just killed one well it was a copperhead Um, And then I woke up, I don't know, come out an hour later and there was a smaller one in the shrubs and I tried to hack it up with a shovel and I didn't have the muscles that big guy has. So I went in the garage and and got hedge clippers and cut its tail off and its head off. (laughs) And I've never posted a thing before on Instagram ever but i posted my kill of the snake i was so proud of myself (laughs) so we have acclimated it's been great it's always felt like that's where we belong and that's home even though you're in our hearts and we we miss you we miss you terribly so pastor tom pastor megan thank you for letting us stand on our our old standing ground and look at the beautiful faces god bless you Love you guys. Proud of you, man. Yeah, love you. Good job.
1: We love you. We do. Amen. What? Well, I- Megan's uh, teaching life path, but I'm, I'm confident to be able to speak on behalf of both of us, how much we deeply love um, both Randy and Mary, and they've just been wonderful to us, so encouraging, so kind with their words, and uh, my sincere hope is that anytime you come to Central New York and you're able to be a part of church, you never ever feel like visitors or guests, but you feel completely at home, and uh, we cannot thank you enough for your decades of pouring into this church, sowing seed, building faithfully. Um, In the words of, I'm gonna get this wrong, it was some British guy, (laughs) not John Lennon, but (laughs) all this is only possible because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I wanna say it was Isaac Newton that said that, but we are standing on the shoulders of giants and uh, we cannot thank you enough and we cannot show you enough honor and respect. So thank you, so glad you guys are here, part of service this weekend. (laughs) Great to have you home. Love you guys. Well it is Father's Day weekend, which means it is right, it is appropriate, it's somewhere in the Bible that we tell dad jokes. I know some people have been looking forward to this all year. You came to church on the right Sunday. All right, i got a few here. Now, this is uh, is compiled from somewhat of a list over the past year. Really, I've just gone through my text messages with my good friend Jonathan Durst and uh, really sort of mined out the best from the past year. So is everyone ready for this? I I need to warn you, this is sophisticated humor. For Father's Day, I tried to come up with a pun about carpentry. I found one that would work. (laughs) Which means I nailed it but nobody saw it, but I hammered it home. All right, it's, it's only up from here. It's, it's... All right. No matter how much you love Star Wars, you shouldn't name your kid Chewbacca. It's a Wookiee mistake. All right, we got better. Okay. Yesterday, I found out my toaster wasn't waterproof. I was shocked. I caught one of the kids biting on an electrical cord. I had to ground them. When I first met Megan, she was wearing a white suit, had hundreds of bee stings, and smelled like honey. That's when I knew she was a keeper. And this is my daughter's favorite. What do you call a hippo with one leg? Hoppo. <laughs> uh, I just read this week that Apple are opening a pirate accessory store. They've already sold out of the eye patch. <laughs> All right, this is my favorite. Why do pigs dress in black to stop being bullied? Because Batman has sworn to protect goth ham. <laughs> oh. I asked Megan why she married me. She said, Your sense of humor. I said, I thought it was my good looks, intelligence, and charm. She said, See, you're hilarious. <laughs> Anyway, happy Father's Day, Uh, we do have a gift for all the men after service, so don't rush out of here, make sure you get that, but we're so glad that you are able to be here and celebrate Father's Day with us. We've already sat in service, you know for some this is a very sensitive day and a sensitive moment and I hope that today you leave feeling uplifted, encouraged, loved and cared for by the church. We're really glad you're here. One of the things um, about parenting that I didn't know until 10 years ago when our oldest son was born, something that I kind of had an awareness of but didn't really understand you couldn't really... Fathom until you're in that parenting spot is the responsibility and that weight of being a role model for somebody. You know, I mean, even if you work in a managerial position, you have employees looking up to you and you're working with somebody else, it's not the same as being a parent. That weight of responsibility is a real thing that I never really got until I was a parent and I started to have these three little guys that are suddenly looking up to me to help show them how to navigate life. And that weight is very real. And I think every parent here knows exactly what I'm talking about. And as I was thinking about today and getting ready for this morning and wanting to bring something helpful to the church and bring something other, hopefully maybe even a little challenging, but definitely encouraging, is that what we can easily see in parenting is this need and this necessity of being a role model and helping to teach our kids how to navigate life. I, I wonder if we get as believers that we also have this responsibility as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we carry and we inherit and we're charged with a responsibility to be role models to the world around us to lead by example, to live a life where we're making a difference, where we're lifting the temperature of a room, where we are a positive influence, we're making a difference, we're leading the way, we're not bystanders just waiting for life to happen, but we're getting in the game and we're making a positive difference because God has done something incredible in our lives and we in turn cannot sit on that, we cannot keep it at home, we need to go into all the world and make a difference. It's so important and it's such a a, a big emphasis of church and ministry that when Word of Life elders and pastors got together to decide on the vision and mission statement of the church, which all happened prior to Megan and I coming here, this is what we landed on. This is what was decided as the mission and the vision of our church. The Word of Life exists to lead individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. If you've been around church for a while, you will have heard this before. But the word I want to hit on for this message today is that word, lead, lead. I love that that's a part of our mission statement. I love that we have declared this is a part of who we are for each and every one of us that calls word of life home is that we are called to lead. We're not passive. We're not neutral. We're not bystanders. We're getting involved. We're lifting the atmosphere. We're having a positive influence. We're making a difference. We're leading. We're not just waiting. And what I want to say today is that no one that follows Jesus can consider the goal of their lives to finish with a net neutral impact. No one that follows Jesus can consider the goal of their lives to finish with a net neutral impact. We all have a responsibility and a charge to be a positive influence and to make a difference in our families, our workplaces, in the community. This is both personally and individually as well as corporately together. The plain reality is that your life will interact with others. You will cross paths with other people. Your life will overlap meaning that your life will affect others. We don't have a choice in this. Your life, my life, will intersect with other people. We will cross paths. We will overlap. We will find ourselves among the broader community. Our life will affect others. And followers of Jesus, we need to accept the responsibility to make sure how we affect other people is positive, life-giving, and reflects the heart of God. Now often in this whole idea, in this whole thought, there's two barriers that we can repeatedly see. The first thing is that people don't see themselves and they don't accept that responsibility. They don't take on that call to be the salt and light in the world that Jesus has talked to us about. And the second thing is that people who believe they should don't know how, possibly even feeling helpless. So we have some believers that don't see themselves as needing and being called and being charged and being commanded by the Lord to go and make a difference, to go and make disciples, to go and lead, to go and make a positive difference wherever they are in life. And then there's other believers that know this is what we're supposed to do. They know this is how we're supposed to be. But how on earth do we get started? Look at the world around us. and We think, how on earth am I supposed to make a difference? How am I supposed to be anything except a passive bystander? And that is a fair question. It's easy to assume that someone else is the right person to make a difference. It's easy to assume that someone else is the one to lead the way. Many of us, we're busy, way too busy. We feel underqualified. We're born into this idea that our faith and our church activity is distinct and separate from every other area of life. We look at the world around us and all that's going on, and we don't know how we can even begin. We don't even know how we can start to have a positive impact. We don't consider that this call that Jesus has given to all believers is for us personally. We don't see that this is something that he has put to us. But one of the great responsibilities of being a follower of Jesus is to make a positive difference. Now, There's a number of ways we can consider this, this whole idea and this whole thought. But this one passage stood out to me this week, and I wanted to share it with you. And we're going to be looking at Paul's first letter to Timothy. And this is a letter written from Paul who was uh, older at this point in his life and in the biblical story. Paul is older and he's running to a younger leader that he's working with. And one commentator I read is, talked about when uh, Paul describes Timothy as being young, it's really talking about young is uh, a term that would be used for someone under the age of 30. So we can expect that Timothy is a young man in his 20s And he's leading a church in Ephesus that's running into some problems. And Paul is the one that started this church about 20 years before we get this letter. And 20 years ago, Paul starts the church. And in that time, he hands over the leadership to Timothy and trusts him to take the church forward. Some problems have arisen. And Paul writes a letter to Timothy to help him address some of the problems. So we're picking this up in 1 Timothy 4, starting verse 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. That's becoming less and less of a problem for me. It's been years since there's been a problem for Pastor Mike. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And for what it's worth, that's actually in the notes, but anyway. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love your faith, and your purity. It sounds like Timothy is having a tough time in Ephesus, and Paul's writing him about a number of different things. We've sort of hit on arguing about pointless different things. We've talked about having an eternal perspective, not just a temporary perspective, about making a a difference in difficult circumstances. And the answer to all of this that Paul brings to Timothy isn't having a strong theological argument. The answer isn't to separate ourselves from the people who don't share our faith or don't share our way of thinking. But rather, the answer is to be an example of godliness and being an example of God's grace and His goodness. I read this as I was getting ready for today, I'm going to read a paragraph to you from an English New Testament scholar, a guy called N.T. Wright, very popular, very uh, great guy, well read. But I read this in one of his commentaries on First Timothy. The first will make you physically fit, talking about the physical workout that Paul addresses, at least in principle to work harder and enjoy life more. The second, the spiritual workout, will not just make you spiritually fit, but the kind of person who reflects God's image, someone who has taken themselves in hand, has seen the need to develop properly as a fully human being and taken appropriate action. This is what Paul means by life. This is emphatically not what people today expect or want to hear. We expect and want to be told that spirituality, Is simply the sense I have of being in God's presence, being surrounded with His love, seeing a transcendent dimension in the affairs of everyday life. It comes as a shock to be told that it's something you have to work at. And something, moreover, which will take the same kind of hard work as going into training for athletics. This is how Paul understands the work of prayer, pastoral care, and evangelism not as a smooth, easy set of tasks, the kind of thing that just flows naturally, but as something through which we are changed the way that a block of marble is changed, as the sculptor chips away at it to get to the beautiful statue they have in mind, and as something through which the world around is changed in the way that a hard-working laborer can transform a plot of thistles and nettles into a lovely garden. The garden they're working on or the sculpture they're chiseling out, it has a grand name, Life. Those who struggle and wrestle in their spiritual exercises under God's direction are doing so in order to attain the ultimate eternal life and also the anticipation of change for life in the present. And they do so, they need to be reminded more sharply of who this God is and what He's done. There's transformation, whether it's the marble illustration that N.T. Wright uses or the garden that he uses. There's transformation. It's never just about us. No one that follows Jesus can consider the goal of their lives to finish with a net neutral impact. Timothy is expected to multiply all of this as he leads the church. These directions from Paul are not about one person being encouraged to grow his relationship with God, but rather to strengthen his self so that he can then impact others. Timothy is told to teach these things to others and to be a role model for others. And for us today, what I want to put to you is that we need to embrace your responsibility to be an example. Embrace your responsibility to be an example My favorite question that I like to put to people If you're sick and tired of hearing this you should wonder how my kids feel If everyone did what you're doing are things getting better or worse? If everyone did what you're doing are things getting better or worse? If everyone took your example Seriously is the world getting better or worse? Timothy He's given five ways to be an example, and all of them are very straightforward to see how they pertain to us. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 12, halfway through, be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. I want to go through those five things. I want to consider how they relate to us today. The first thing that we're told in that verse is be an example in what you say. Be an example in what you say. And this is a much bigger topic in the Bible than we often recognize. And here's a few passages that address this particularly. And there are many, many more, but these are the ones I think are helpful for us today. James 3, starting verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is the whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh, fresh water from a salty spring. If we could control our tongue, we'd be perfect. The same way that a bit in the mouth of a horse or a rudder on a ship would make it turn. In the same way that a spark can start a forest fire, words have consequences. Words have power. What James wrote here in this passage, it parallels what Jesus taught in Luke 6. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not plucked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And similarly, Jesus in another verse, Matthew 15, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear, listen, he said, and try to understand, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And this is a well-known passage from the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. What you say reflects what's in your heart. Our words reveal what's really going on, what's really at the core of our being and really in the depth of our soul. Our words matter more than we often realize. What we say could build people up and bring life, or we can use our words to tear down. Do our words praise God and honor Him? Do our words reflect the goodness that God has done in our lives It reflect the good things in our heart? Do our words refresh others like a good meal? Think about the type of people that you like to spend time with. Do you feel lifted up and encouraged with people who complain about anything and everything? Do you feel uplifted and encouraged being around the loudmouth who always shares their opinions even though no one's asked them to? Do you enjoy being with someone who makes sure everyone knows just how smart and accomplished they are? Do you enjoy being in the company of a gossip who's always got dirt on somebody and you just know they're getting ready to talk about you to the next person? Do you enjoy being with someone who's ultra-critical and acts like they're just trying to be helpful? Do you enjoy being with people who talk and talk but never listen? Do you enjoy being with someone who keeps bringing up humiliating moments from your past? Or someone who hides behind, I'm just a straight shooter, as an excuse for being rude and cruel? Would you get advice from somebody who's always ready to shoot down any idea that you have? And how do we consider our words? Do we consider if our words have that impact on others? Our words matter. We know this because there is not a single person here who has not got some stinging words from the past that still ring around in your head somewhere. There is not a single person here that doesn't have a seriously solemn memory because somebody said something cutting to us. The strange irony is that oftentimes these words that have shaped our lives, that have dragged us down, that have caused us pain, that have caused us to think a certain way about life, and the person that said that thing doesn't even remember saying it. And it shaped the path in front of us. That is the power of words. It all points us back to my favorite question. If everyone did what you're doing, or if everyone spoke the way you speak, are things getting better or worse? If everyone said the words you say, if everyone spoke how you speak, are things getting better or worse? Be an example. And what you say is what Paul wrote to Timothy, and I believe is the same encouragement and the same charge to us today. Listen to ourselves. Consider how the effect of our words. Consider how people may hear our words. Give a fraction of a second to think through what we're saying before it just comes out of our mouth. Assume that people are actually listening to what we're saying and they're taking it seriously. Maybe our words will take root in someone's mind and we need to be cognizant and we need to be intentional. Are our words bringing death or life? Are our words bringing the love of God? Are we presenting the grace and the goodness of the one who set us free? Or are we bringing people down? Are we crushing people? Are we being critical? First thing, be an example in what you say. Second thing, be an example in the way you live. Be an example in the way you live. And this is all-encompassing. This is public, private, more so in public, but this is all-encompassing. Be an example in the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, how we interact with the community, the reputation that we earn. I have a friend of mine. He was getting ready to get married and went to the pastor of his church and asked if the pastor would officiate the ceremony, but at a different church. The pastor agreed to do the service, and then the pastor got themselves all kind of busy. And so my friend was having to hound the pastor saying, okay, the venue that we're getting married in, they need to know that you are indeed ordained as a minister, so we need like the official paperwork that you are indeed a credentialed minister so that we can have this wedding. And the pastor completely messed up and did not get the paperwork and completely blew it off. My friend's hounding him, saying, like, hey, look, we're getting married, and uh, when we talked, we, we thought there was going to be some kind of pre-marriage counseling. We get together and kind of talk through married life and, you know, biblical perspective and things, and we thought that was part of this whole thing, and it never went anywhere. And then the straw that broke the camel's back was the pastor then let them know, it's like, yeah, so I'm still doing the wedding, okay? The wedding's on Saturday. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be there. But just so you know, I'm about to go on a missions trip and I'm flying back from Ethiopia and I'll get back in the country on the Friday. So we don't have the minister's credentials, we've done no marriage counseling, and you're coming back from a developing nation the day before we get married. Yeah, this don't work. Now that's rubbish situation. Which wish my friend hadn't have had that interaction with the pastor in this church. But What really got me is when he says his family who don't know God, who aren't believers, who don't follow Jesus, the pastor of the church is completely dropping the ball. And my friend looked at me so upset, so annoyed, so frustrated, so devastated, saying, Tom, this is a terrible witness. This does not reflect well on the kingdom of God, that on our wedding day, the pastor of our church is completely dropping the ball and is completely communicating how little he cares about how we're doing. Tom, my family is furious at my church. My family, consequently, is angry at God. When we hear verses, Paul saying to Timothy, be an example in how you live, be an example in how you conduct yourself. This was the instance that came to my mind of here's a family where instead of having an uplifting encounter with the church, instead of being encouraged by how the church was taking care of the people in the congregation, instead, they don't care, and it completely blew an opportunity to have a positive impact in that family's life. As people, we remember the negative far stronger than the positive. A Negative experience it registers deeper in our minds and we hold on to that feeling We all know this because if we've ever been to a store and got really really good customer service By the time we get to the car on the way home. We've already forgotten it But if something bad happens We're going straight home and writing a Google review We're bringing it up at dinner parties and we're swearing up and down. We're never going to that store ever again I have read some research where some would propose that to have a one negative experience, you need nine positive to counterbalance it. That's how deep a negative experience will go with us. Now, well, the point for this today, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and the reason I'm coming at it from this angle, is that we should understand that our negative impact does have consequences. I, for instance, I have a, a terrible tendency to lose all kinds of patience when I'm on the phone with a call centre. Like the whole like press 2 to speak to someone that knows exactly what's going on, like that whole thing, it just sends me wild. And there was one instance that sticks out where I kind of was bounced around different departments and I-, I swear they just wanted to get me off the phone and apparently no one understands an English accent and all this stuff, right? And I'm so frustrated, I sort of lose my patience and I start acting like a jerk and I'm not kind. I snapped and then someone's like, okay, I'm actually going to help. And then the question came, all right, sir, what's your occupation? I don't know. (laughs) Megan, someone wants to talk to you. (laughs) But in moments like this, this verse often will come to my mind, Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with the people that work at the call center. Do we embrace this Bible verse? Do we just act like this is a verse for everyone else? Do we live in a way that promotes peace? Or do we get childish on the phone? Do we get upset the smallest things? Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Number three, be an example in your love. Be an example in your love. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And this cannot be just something that we say as a church when we say we are a community of faith and we love people. This cannot be something we say. Romans 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. So I'm not on Facebook. So this is not knowingly a criticism of anyone here, at least not on purpose, but I've heard from many others that judging by Facebook alone, we as the church have got really, really good at hating what is wrong. And we just read from the Bible, it teaches us hate what is wrong, but we cannot separate hating what is wrong from what we're being called to, which is to really love people. Not just to pretend we love people, but with genuine affection. Yes, we're told, hate what is wrong. We've got really, really good at that. How are we doing on really loving people? Not just to pretend we love them, but with a genuine affection. There's an old saying that I first heard from John Maxwell. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this whole thing, it's tested most noticeably by acting in love towards people we don't believe are deserving of love with people that strongly disagree with us, with people who our assessment of their lives would be completely out of context, completely wild, well, that is when this is all tested for you and I. I had lunch with a, another pastor locally a little while ago, and this conversation, this, this guy sort of brought something I thought was really eye-opening and extremely interesting. He talks about this idea of uh, the, the people that will take the office and the opportunity and the title of an evangelist. And we have people that are evangelists that will travel from place to place and they'll preach. And part of being an evangelist biblically is that there's a gift, a God-given gift on someone's life that they can present the message of Jesus and help people make that initial decision of following Jesus. That gift of evangelism is very real. And there are people that will want to take the position and the office of an evangelist but what my friend pointed out is that some of these folks that want to take the office and the position and have the title of evangelist, they love seeing altars filled with people making decisions to follow Jesus, but they don't love sinful people. They love seeing the altars packed. They love seeing dozens or hundreds of people responding to the message of Jesus, but do they love hurt, broken, messed up people? My friend's analysis, we're judging by Facebook. Possibly not. Love seeing the altar packed. Love being able to say, yeah, we saw people saved today. But is there a deep, driving love for people that don't know God? Is there a deep love for people that are jacked up, messed up, doing all kinds of crazy things, that are devastating their lives, ruining things for people around them? Is there a deep love for those people in spite of their brokenness? And that was a challenge that I took on board in our desire to want to see people reach with the gospel. Do we love people? Or do we just want to see a church that's packed? Do we love people? Does it break our heart to see that the sinful things that people are a part of, it's not just annoying to us. It breaks our hearts because it's ruining their life. And it's bringing devastation to those around them. Does that break our hearts? Or do we just want to see our churches packed I'm praying and I'm believing for more and more evangelists like Annie Bullard to be raised up. (laughs) People like Annie Bullard that will walk into a strip club and will find a way to start a conversation and make sure that a dancer knows that she is deeply loved by the creator of the universe and by us as a church. It's quickly pointed out and plain to see that the country is getting more divided. This presents all manner of challenges among believers. It's complicated. There's much discussion that's happening. But no matter how much more extreme society gets, no matter how immoral it continues to get, the answer will never be to start withholding the love, forgiveness, grace, compassion of God from people. This is not pretending. There aren't serious cultural problems. It's not pretending. It's not complicated. But the answer is not benching the love of God. Be an example. So Paul writes to Timothy, be an example in your love. Fourth thing, be an example in your faith. Be an example in your faith. I've shared this definition before. The definition of faith, the best one that I've read, is believing in and committing to a promise. A definition of faith is believing in and committing to a promise. That consequently means the opposite of faith is not believing and being uncommitted to a promise. But we are called to be people of faith and be an example in our faith. To believe in and commit to the promises of God. Now one thing that is 100% guaranteed, people are watching. Something incredible has happened in Western culture. That as soon as you or I let someone know that we're a Christian... Everyone instantly becomes a theologian and has a complete understanding of what it really means to follow Jesus. And some people are even willing to hand out letter grades about how well you're doing. We're called to live as an example of faith. That doesn't mean killing ourselves to meet everyone else's definition of Christian or living up to a moral and ethical code that the world will try and put on you it does mean being driven and centered around God's promises and having a faith that endures in all seasons. Let me do a, a quick poll here. Um, how many people would describe yourself as an extrovert? Can you put your hand in the air? Any extroverts? There's a few, okay. Uh, and introverts? If you're nudging your husband saying, I'm not putting up my hand, this is stupid. You're an introvert. It does not matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. And this idea by being an example in your faith, being an example of your faith doesn't mean turning up the volume. Being an example in your faith means transcending any season life throws at you with God at the center. Being faithful and committed and believing in the promises of God. It's not about you have to suddenly start getting loud about your faith. It means you keep going. It means your faith cuts through any season of life. You have a persistence and an endurance that will carry you through any season. That is the kind of faith that will stand out as an example to the people around you. It's not about being louder or more extreme. It's about steadily building a life of faith grounded and rooted in the promises of God and that my friends will show a good example of faith to those around us. I honestly believe this is a slow and steady wins the race kind of principle. Be an example in your faith. All right, number five, number five, be an example in your purity. Be an example in your purity is what Paul writes to Timothy, and I think is just as relevant for us today. Now, this is not limited to sexual activity, but it's certainly implied. This is really an Old Testament-rooted idea that Paul is bringing. The idea of being pure or purified uh, was a key part of Old Testament worship. The Old Testament people, they weren't able to attend worship in the tabernacle or the temple if they had done something or been a part of something that had made them ceremonially impure. If considered impure, the priests couldn't fulfill their priestly duties. And there was a whole system to become ritually purified. And there's a call to be concerned with our conduct, our ethics, and our morals. That purity that we are told to take seriously. And I believe the right response for believers is, it matters to me because it matters to God. And there's some things that are worth remembering, this whole subject of purity. Some things I want to bring to you, things that I think are helpful to remember. The first is the call in this instance from Paul is to be a good example, not to demand others comply. It's not what Paul's saying here. In this verse, this whole idea about being an example, the first thing we need to keep in mind is that this is for you and for I, this is not a call to us to go and make other people comply, but it's for us to live as an example. Be an example, demonstrate godliness. I still maintain, I remain convinced that the problems of sin are self-evident and that living a life that's God-honoring, it helps build peace and joy in our lives. I'm often called old-fashioned because of my traditional views, but I truly believe there's a lot of pain and upset that's avoided by being old-fashioned. I hope that others see that in your life and that you are an example. The call is for us to be a good example. Second thing, we have to care about this for ourselves. Our purity is ours to be responsible for. Are we careful about what influences we let in? Are we willing to put distance between ourselves and temptation? Are we thinking long-term or just in the moment? Third thing I ask you to think about in subject of purity is we can't expect others to care unless they can see the other four things evident in our lives. Purity is the fifth on a list. The ones that went before this, be an example in what you say, how you live, your love, and your faith. Perhaps it's oversimplified to consider that Paul put purity at the end of the list. But I do wonder if part of the point of this is that we need to get the other four right, and people need to see the other four enacted in our lives before we can start speaking to the fifth one. If people see and people can observe that what we say is uplifting, godly, brings life. If people have been able to see that how we live and how we conduct ourselves, it is honorable. It's worthy of respect. If people have seen and they know because of seasons that we really are loving people, that care deeply about people that our faith is not wishy-washy, that it's not just something we do on a Sunday, but it really is driving our lives, that our whole lives are centered on the promises of God. Maybe just maybe then, being an example of purity, we're talking to people that have got their ears open. Maybe if people see our example and those things first, maybe sensitive conversations will follow. If someone believes God loves them, that we love them, maybe... God will open the door for some very difficult conversations. For us, it means resisting the temptation to address the issues of purity and instead focus primarily and first on being an example in what we say, how we live, our love, and our faith. Trusting God that all of this will open doors to some much needed conversations. Now, in all of this, I got some good news. There is a 100% chance you will have an opportunity this week to put this into practice. There's a 99% chance it will happen today. I've got three suggestions. If you've got a pen, paper, you want to write these down. I've got three suggestions, how to live as an example. The first thing is be deliberate. Be deliberate. We won't accidentally change the world. We won't accidentally fulfill the great commission. We won't accidentally make disciples. But if we're deliberate, if our heads are in the game, there's no stopping God. There's no stopping God. There's no limit on what he can do with his people. Be deliberate, get our heads in the game, go through life thinking, how am I being an example? How am I being a role model? How am I leading people? How am I making a positive difference? How am I impacting the situation? How am I positively affecting people around me? How am I bringing kingdom goodness into this situation? Be deliberate. Second thing, be consistent. Be consistent. There's no off day. Life of faith, the life of following Jesus is every day, one foot after the other, one foot, one step, Further, further, keep going, keep going. Building a life of faith. Be consistent, be the same person in every room. Don't be one way at work and another person at church. Don't be one person with your family and another person with your friends. Be the same person in every room. Be consistent, be a strong example. And the third thing, be confident. Be confident, and when I say be confident, I don't mean have a sense of self-esteem or a sense of pride, I mean be confident that God is able to use your life to make a difference. Be confident that you going into a room with a smile instead of scorn makes a difference. You being polite, you being kind, you not being rude to the person in the mortgage company that messed up your bill. Not that I would ever do that. Trust God, be confident that that makes a difference. No one that follows Jesus can consider the goal of their lives to finish with a net neutral impact. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Embrace your responsibility to be an example in what you say, how you live, your love, faith, and purity. And for us to be an example, it's not to demand others comply. We have to care about our own purity And we have to get the other four figured out first. And then, hopefully, God will open doors for conversations that will change lives. The three suggestions, how to live as an example, be deliberate, be consistent, and be confident. I got two questions. You can go ahead, write these down, give you something to think about this week, maybe something to pray about, maybe something to talk about with a spouse. The first question is this, is how seriously do you take your call to make a difference? How seriously do you take that responsibility? My friends, this is for all believers, all believers, for us to make a difference, not just a few. This is for all believers to make a difference. How seriously do you take that call? Second question, which of the five areas that we are to be an example in can you work on immediately? Which of those five things that we hit on? What we say, how we live, our love, our faith, our purity, which of those five need attention today there's a fair chance you already know maybe you need to take some time carefully consider it which of those five do you need to work on so that we can be a strong example the definition of faith that I shared with you a few moments ago is faith is believing in and committing to a promise believing in and committing to a promise believers all over the world began Their life following Jesus, their life following God, living a life where their relationship with the creator of the universe was healed and restored. It began because they believed, they had faith that the promise of God was for real. They believed the promise of God that you and I are loved in an indescribable way by the creator of the universe. So much so. So when sin entered the world, God decided, I'm the one that's going to fix this up. I'm going to take responsibility, even though I've done nothing wrong. You guys have messed this up, but I love you so much. I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to fix this for you. 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son. God became humanity to pay the price that humanity couldn't pay ourselves. And on the cross 2000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us, took on the sins of the world, the things that have separated you and I from God, the things that have caused problems amongst each other. Jesus Christ took all that upon himself, took the punishment that you and I deserve. He paid the debt you and I could never ever pay. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death once and for all so that you and I could know life and that you and I could live in a healed and whole relationship with the creator of the universe. This, my friends, is the good news of Jesus. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. If you've never made that decision, I'm going to get right with God. I want my relationship with God to be healed and whole. And you've never said, I put my faith and my trust and my confidence in Jesus and Jesus alone. Today is the best day possible for you to do it. So we're going to pray in just a moment together. And I'd love to know who we're praying for. So I invite everyone here, if you mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads. Just to give some discretion to people around you so that we can focus on what matters right now. But if this is for you today, if you'd say, Tom, I'm ready to start following God. I want to heal my relationship with God. I'm ready to put my trust and confidence in Jesus. If this is you today, would you mind just putting your hand up in the air just so I know who we're praying for? Wonderful. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Wonderful. I promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything that's going to make you uncomfortable, but I'd love to pray for you. Anyone else here today? Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. Wonderful. Online, you just push that button. It says, I raise my hand. Anyone else here before we pray? Amen. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate with people making the best decision we could ever make today. Amen. We're going to pray a prayer, and we do this at the end of every service. The words are on the screen. I want to invite you to pray along with us, especially those of you that were brave enough to put your hand up. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time everybody, let's celebrate with people, amen.